Hello, you have reached the Mouse and Weens podcast. Today we're going to be interviewing Jules Hannaford, author and podcast creator of Fool Me Twice. It is a true crime story that you have to listen to. Um, you'll hear some inside information from her, and we ask her lots of questions that you may want to know too. So stay tuned. Uh, check our show notes on mouseandweens.com for all the information. And here we go. Okay, Look at the great. background picture too. How appropriate! Oh yeah, African. <laughs> That's cool. That's Yay. awesome. Well, I'm Joelle. I'm Mouse over here. So hi, nice to meet you. Hi, good to meet you guys. <laughs> Thanks yeah, for having I'm me. I'm Julianne. I'm the Ween part of the equation. <laughs> I, I've got to ask you how you came up with Mouse and Weens. Weens, you want to tell her? I was here. I'm talking in my microphone this direction. I was brought home as a nine pound or what was I 11 pounds nine ounces very large baby so I look like a little wiener rolled up a little swaddled wiener and, uh, <laughs> so have you been called that since you were a baby <laughs> yes and then it just stuck it was little wiener and weans and it's a terrible story but <laughs> it stuck <laughs> yeah and then I was um I guess the story goes, I was a baby and I had no teeth and I chewed through a cheese package. And so I became the mouse and then it kind of fit my, I was like shy as a little girl. So it fit the personality too. So, and now I'm stuck with it. And that's what our mom calls us. She calls her squirrel and then I'm mouse, but our dad oh, called that, her weens. So anyway. Oh, that's so cool. Yeah. <laughs> but then she goes by Jules. So this is going to be kind of a tricky <laughs> yeah we got jules squared jules, jules. so you are right now sitting where exactly in the world so i'm sitting in hong kong in the morning while it's night time where you guys are and i'm actually on chinese new year holiday so that's why i'm able to do this because normally i'm working as a teacher that's right. Now, are you being mm. affected by this big global shutdown and travel and everything? Is this? Well, I'm not. Luckily, I was just staying here anyway. But uh, yeah, I think a lot of people are starting to get affected and everyone's sort of in panic mode. Apparently, all the masks have been sold out in Hong Kong and everyone's walking around with masks on. But oh I feel like we're I live on a little island off Hong Kong. It's a Chinese fishing village with no cars and you have to walk everywhere and it's quite small. So I think we we feel quite sort of safe here <laughs> from from protests and viruses. <laughs> okay, right. Yeah, the protests yeah. too. Good. Mm -hmm. Well, that's nice. You can be kind of insulated. and But with that comes kind of the, the, the whole story of your book and your podcast probably, right? You're kind of off in your own little world, so... Yeah, very difficult to meet men. So I got online dating and then the whole story started to evolve. So yes, I mean, that's definitely part of it. And being a six six foot tall woman in Hong Kong doesn't help either. And having no attraction to Asian men doesn't help either. <laughs> so I'm very, very limited in options here. That's right. Well, we have another... And you went... I'm sorry. No, we have another tall one, I was going to say. My sister is... What are you, Jules? Six... Six, one. six and three quarters, yeah, almost six. Wow, one. 
Wow. Yes. Yeah, that's about it. My start. daughter's about that tall. Wow. So there we that's go. Awesome. We could hang out. Yes, you guys very difficult my... to find men. <laughs> and I can't imagine being over in Hong Kong. That would be... What brought you there? Was it mainly your teaching job? Yeah, I applied for a teaching job when my daughter was 11 years old. So 20 years ago, I came out to Hong Kong to teach for two years. And it's an amazing place to live. And I've got a fantastic job in a wonderful school. And here I am 20 years later living in Hong Kong. So it's been a really fantastic you know, life. But I've been single for most of that 20 years. That's right. So I binge listened to the podcast version of Fool Me Twice, which is based on your book. And so when did all of this happen? You... So it happened in 2010. So I'd had a few minor scams in 2007, 2008, which are in the book. Mm-hmm. Um, they feature a little bit in the podcast, but the podcast is really about the major scam with Truman at the end, which happened in Manchester in the UK, where, to be honest, I could have been killed. I, I really could have. I did feel like my life was in danger. And, that was uh, amazing. Yeah. Listening to the, the culmination of that whole story had me on the edge of my seat. It's Oh, that's great. It's a very yeah, well-produced um, podcast. I was amazed by it. But, but the oh, story. Could you give a little bit of the backstory for people who haven't heard about it? A little teaser, so to speak. Yeah, sure. So basically, I was single mom living in Hong Kong, looking for love. I was online and I met this guy, Truman, who said he was a manager in a construction site and had his own mobile phone business in the UK in Manchester. And after about four months, I went to meet him. And when I when I got there, he did look like his pictures. So often people who are catfished, which is where somebody is pretending to be somebody else using social media or a false line on identity to produce pursue a romance they used different photos but he'd actually used his real photos but pretty much everything else about him wasn't true it turned out including his name (sighs) so I went to meet him and then it just all started to go awry and there were all these red flags which I didn't really just I ignored let's face it I did um, and he wanted to lend me to me to lend him money. He'd quit his job as a construction manager so he could spend time with me, um, which just absolutely didn't make any sense. But I just chose to ignore it. And then he, I lent him some money, and then then he got violent, and it all just went crazy. And he tried to get more out of me, but I was reluctant, and that annoyed him. And in the end, I ended up getting smashed between a door and a wall and having to escape him and get the car back, which he pressured me not to insure. And it was just a whole lot of sort of gaslighting and pressure and emotional reeling in and then repelling and violence and and then sweet talking. And I, I was jet lagged and just wanting love and also, you know, hormonal and you know everything you know really looking for intimacy and thinking that this guy was gorgeous and yeah overall it was a disaster Uh, but I escaped with the car and my life and then I wrote a book and then my daughter helped me turn it into a true crime podcast and we got 
in the podcast, we've got scam victims and experts on scamming. And I also got a scammer, a real life scammer from Ghana in the last episode. And he talks about why he scams and how he does it. So that was a real coup to get hold of somebody that was willing to speak to me as well. Right. Yeah. The whole story was just edge of your seat, bingeable too. And I love the format, which was eight episodes. Yeah, nine. Nine episodes. Yeah, all self-contained series, which is finished and it's all out now. So people can binge listen to it, which is great. I love doing that. Yeah, it it was a very quick, you know, day and a half of me doing a lot of laundry and really scrubbing my counters as I was listening to everything. I loved it. It was so great. But um Yeah, so tell us about kind of the whole, what we want to do with this too is to really help people, right? I mean, is that part of your goal in putting this out? Absolutely. And in the back of the book, which is also called Fool Me Twice by Jules Hannaford, and you can get it on Amazon, there's a whole section on red flags, what to watch out for. I dissect a fake email from a real scammer that I got about 11 years ago. I give... Um, examples of how you can online date safely and how you and what to do if you're caught in an emergency as well so the goal is really to talk about it and to get it out in the open because scamming is a billion dollar industry and romance scams is one of the hugest industry in the world and it's billion dollars a year just in Canada and America And what I wanted to do was open up the conversation because many people feel very ashamed. And I must say, I felt a huge amount of shame when I was writing the book and going back over it. And, you know, I'm a school teacher and a role model and I've got to teach kids not to do exactly what I did because I actually teach a subject called learning for life which is personal social health education and so it was I was very ashamed and embarrassed of the choices that I made but It just goes to show that they're very professional at what they do. They're skilled at reeling you in. It can happen to absolutely anybody. And some of the experts that I spoke to on the um, podcast said that they know doctors and lawyers and policemen and judges who it's happened to. And I think I wanted to open up the conversation to warn people, to help other people own their stories and to overcome the shame that they're feeling and to feel that they can reach out for help and support because it's amazing how much better I feel now, now that I've put my book and the podcast out there. I've had so much support, so many people contacting me and telling me how much they love the book or the podcast, people telling me how I've help them not to be scammed and you know I think all of those reasons I feel like I've been able to let go of the shame and I feel like I've been able to accept that I made these mistakes and that I can learn from them and help others and maybe that's why it happened to me right absolutely yeah and I read I the subject of I've dated a few narcissists in my day and then I got There was one in particular that was terrible, and it led me down uh, finding out about narcissism and then sociopaths and psychopaths. And I read so many books, and there was one from a woman. I'll have to find the name, but it it was exactly what you said, that it was generally very educated, professional women who would – who would get scammed most frequently. It had nothing to do with – it had more to do with just being a person that that trusts others and who are empathetic, but 
it didn't have anything to do with uh, being naive. They were very strong professional businesswomen, and that surprised me. But I felt like I was one of those too, and I kind of got duped. And um, but wouldn't you say yours was maybe more of a con man versus a professional scammer? Yeah, I mean, probably. And maybe Truman was too. Sounds more like he. Yeah, I think Truman with- in. Yeah, in the end, he had once the police had actually found him and arrested him, and they couldn't end up charging him. But that's a long story. But it turned out that he was a career criminal with a rap sheet back to the 1990s, and he'd had over 20 aliases. Mm. So I think he was a career criminal who was just starting to dabble in romance scams. And that's why, first of all, he met me. Like most scammers never meet their victims. But although he kind of didn't have a choice, I don't think he actually really wanted to meet me. <laughs> um, <laughs> I imposed that on him, I guess. I'm not I'm sure. up. You better be yeah, there. Yeah. <laughs> and also um, he, uh, did, he used his real photos, which most scammers don't do as well. So I think he was a career criminal who was just sort of moving into the world of scamming. But when I went back through the book, I could see I kept all of our Skype conversation And I could see how he was manipulating me and how he was grooming me. And so I was able to forgive myself a little bit more. And Weens, I think it's interesting because I did have a level of naivety despite my level of education, despite my global traveling, um, my job. I still was naive in that I really didn't think about how... I mean, it was 2010 and scamming wasn't prevalent like it is now. So I didn't have any sort of uh, stories that I could hook into. But I just believed in the best in people. And that is naive in itself because there are a lot of people who are manipulative, are nasty, are mean, are evil. Having said that, there are a lot of people on the internet who are genuine. So it you know, it's not the it's not completely a disaster story. And some people can find love online. I just had very bad luck. Right. So yeah. what did you is there one thing that you could glean from what you would do differently or were there just several red flags that you would see oh my now gosh, having gone through this experience? There's so many things I would do differently. So many. I mean, one of the first ones is Skype with somebody or FaceTime with them face to face and talk to them before you meet them. Like Truman had so many excuses not to Skype with me. Now, I don't know whether I was actually writing with Truman or not. I don't know. It could have, there was a guy that he, you know, uh, shared a, supposedly was sharing a shop with. None of this was true. But I don't know whether that guy, his name was, oh, hang on, I can't say his name because I can't remember what name I used in the book. Um, <laughs> that guy, <but laughs> wingman. That, that, that Caucasian guy <laughs> in the shop, he could have been the one doing all the writing on Skype. I really don't know because um, I don't know how adept Truman was at writing and his writing wasn't too bad. Did his um, When you met him and, and spent time with him in the UK, did his... Did he speak the way he wrote? Was he saying well, the same words? Was it matching uh, up? Si- I guess similarly, and we had talked on the phone. So it was definitely him I was speaking to on the phone, but he had a kind of an African-y British accent. 
and, you know, he passed it off as the fact that he was a naughty kid and he was adopted and so his parents sent him off to Canada to boarding school and that's why his accent was a bit weird. And I fell for that because I wanted to. You know, looking back, it didn't make sense. He did sound kind of African and uh, when I was there, his his sort of, uh, you know, we went to African restaurants. He was speaking in Ghana or Nigerian two people in those restaurants you know there were so many red flags that were saying look this guy isn't British and he wasn't adopted but I really just chose to ignore them all until we went out one night and he'd already got the money out of me and he was carrying it and he was celebrating because he was so excited to have the money and he just started to get violent or not not violent aggressive with taxi drivers and aggressive with people around him and I when I questioned him on that he got aggressive with me and then I was just kind of like you know that sick feeling in my stomach like something's, something's not right happen. yeah mm-hmm. this is wrong he's got my money I've got to get out of here and that's when I tried to escape from the hotel room I got the money back and I tried to get out and it just all went terribly wrong and it's quite an exciting part in the I think in the first episode of the of the series and then the next day he reeled me back in again with all his apologies and his platitudes and his promises for the future and I was made me second guess how I was feeling the night before and whether I'd been too harsh on him and this is all part of gaslighting which is a very very good technique that people use to make you feel like you're going crazy or you're second guessing you second guess your decisions and so in the end, I stayed with him until the final culminating violent incident where I was able to get away. Mm. Yeah. How long was that period of time that you stayed with him? It was a week, six, six or That's seven it. days. That's it. Yeah. So it escalated and, that fast. My God. Oh, it escalated that fast because after that, after that incident uh, where I tried to get away and couldn't, he took me to Liverpool and showed me this apartment building that he was trying to buy an apartment in and he wanted me to go in on the apartment with him. So he got a small amount of money out of me, about £3,600 at that point. And, and then he wanted me to go in on this apartment. And by then I was really sceptical and just trying to follow my gut, which was telling me that things weren't right. And I'd said no. So that annoyed him and he drove home really, really fast. And then that evening he convinced me to lend him another 600, uh, 400 pounds he wanted. But for some reason I gave him five or 600 pounds because he needed to pay his rent and his check from his his um, business hadn't come because of the holiday period from the construction company. But there was no construction company. There was no check coming. But I lent him a bit more money. But also I wanted his approval. I wanted to make him happy. I felt on edge when he wasn't when he wasn't happy with me. So to give him the money made him really happy. But then he disappeared into the night with that money and that's that was the night before when he came back in the morning it all went crazy and then I I was leaving that day anyway but Mm. I I, you know he had this hire car that he'd gotten really angry on the second day with me and he didn't want me to insure it and it was gone and I thought he was going to steal it you know I thought I could be up for 20 or 30 thousand pounds if that car was lost I was in a real panic about the car and that's one of the reasons why I put myself in more danger by going up to the hotel room with him because I wanted to get the car back. Whereas I'd recommend to anybody, leave the car. Don't put yourself in danger. Get out of that situation. So Um, you could have died in retrospect when you look at that. That 
could have absolutely i was in a random hotel out on the outskirts of manchester with this psychopathic criminal who was going absolutely mental at me screaming like a nutter i think one of the reasons i kept my cool was because i'd been in domestic violent relationships in my 20s so this was not unfamiliar to me so when he started kicking off like a psychopath and screaming like a nutter and towering over me and going mad I kind of thought, oh, shit, here we go again. It was very familiar because I'd had that experience with my daughter's father when I was young and another guy I'd been with as well when I was young. So I think that experience of having been in domestic violent relationships in my 20s helped me get out of this one because I stayed super calm. I didn't get angry. I didn't get hysterical. I didn't freak out. I was completely calm and I was just like, give me back the car keys. Mm -hmm. Please give me back the car keys. And then he threw them at me and I caught them and then he smashed me between a door and a wall and I was all stunned and and then gathered my senses and followed him downstairs because I knew that he'd have to get all his stuff out of the car, which was another stupid thing. I should have just like st- got, got into safety with people, not followed him. And But then when I got downstairs, he was going mental at the staff over behind the counter and the guy had been helping me earlier and his wife was there and they were freaking out and I'm like, oh, my God, I've got to protect these people. Like I'm such a rescuer in my <laughs> in my real life. I'm like, right, I've got to get him out of here. So I went outside and called him out and he left those people and came out and, oh, it was so terrible. I'm, I'm feeling – I can feel it now oh. even though it was 11 years ago while I'm talking about it. Yeah. And I walk past this guy and I'm like, if this guy starts to beat me, call, me, call the police. He's like, yeah, okay like this random guy that was smoking in the car park. And then he, then Truman's just like, I don't care if I go to jail. He's screaming at me and I'm just like, okay, I've got to back off. Because I'd asked him then for the money. He's like, what money? There's no money. He's just going nuts. So I was like, okay, forget the money. This guy's absolutely unhinged. Get yourself out of here. So I backed off. Now, in when you look back at that, was he losing his cool or was that a big show to get you out of there? Or what was that? Okay, so it's, it, who knows? It could have been to get rid of me. It could have been him losing his cool because he'd been out all night and he was drunk. Um, I have since, I haven't told anyone this. I'm going to share something with you just for you and your listeners. Nobody knows this. It's not in the podcast and it's not in the book. Oh, I'm scared. I... I have since found Truman online. He is on Facebook. I found him on Facebook. He's still using the same alias that he used with me. And he it looks like from what he's written and from his posts that he's been through treatment for alcoholism. So oh, I wow. think, yeah, so I think he was really, really drunk. And that's mm-hmm. why he was behaving like that. But it, it, it was one of those situations where I couldn't really tell because he seemed yeah. quite in control. But I think mm-hmm. alcohol played a big part in the whole thing and I wasn't aware of it. But then there are happy drunks and then there are psychopaths. So yes, he was the alcohol brought out whatever yeah, his true really character violent. was. But, but uh, also he knew he wasn't getting any more out of me because of the uh, the Liverpool thing where I had refused. And... 
Roger A. Grimes, who is a um, in, uh, internet security guy who I interview on Fool Me Twice, said that that was so unique that I actually didn't hand over everything and I didn't lose everything and I got myself out of it. And he was really wondering what was it that made me understand and realise whereas so many other people lose everything to their scammer and it goes on for years and years. And I think it's the fact that I actually met him in person I think that's part of how I was able to really tap into those gut instincts and get myself out of it. And if I hadn't met him in person, I don't know. I mean, also having met him in person, I probably lost more than I would have not meeting him because I can't imagine I would have given him money without ever having met him. I don't know. Maybe I would have. Who knows? But, yeah, it's very unique that I got myself out of the situation and didn't lose absolutely everything. So that, well, that's also, a good thing. Well, also, the part in between, I'm guessing, is how much he, how much time he spent telling you how wonderful you were. And there was probably so much love in between the crazy parts, right? So you're, they know how to yeah, string yeah. you back in. Absolutely, they do. They reel you in with, it's called grooming and they have a formula that they use. And, you know, he even spoke to my daughter on the phone and, you know, that even made me like him even more because of the way he was speaking to her. And, you know, he just kept telling me how amazing I was. And there would be these kind of psychopathic or mad moments and then there'd be this reeling me back in and telling me how wonderful and I was all he'd look for in a woman and all this sort of thing. But... It was just, it was just so crazy, and I, I was just so caught up in this dream of having a partner, and it was, I was in early forties. I'd been alone for a long, long time. I desperately, really wanted somebody in my life. I felt like that I was, that was really lacking, and I really craved intimacy. And I think that's part of your hormones, and also the oxytocin that is released in your brain. It's a love hormone, and it makes you connect with people, and then it can make you make more rational decisions because of the way that you are feeling in that situation. So all of this combined led me to get myself into a situation where I was really in danger. And now that I'm postmenopausal, I don't have that same desire for intimacy. I don't have that same desperate need to have a partner. It's really interesting how I think hormones did play a part. And I can see that more in hindsight now that, you know, I'm 10 years into menopause, well, peri and whatever like yeah. six years the into menopause yeah yeah so I haven't had a period whatever for six years and my symptoms are only trying to only like stopping now and I just don't have that same yeah desire yeah that helps yeah yeah, <laughs> yeah. so that does help we I want to can we go back to the fact that you found him on Facebook? Are yeah, you... that's what I wanted to ask about. Oof. Yes, when I was writing the book a couple of years ago, I searched for him on Facebook. And when I was doing the when I was doing the podcast, I actually considered contacting him and seeing if I could get him to interview me, oh but my God. I know, I really did consider it, but then I just thought that is such a risk because I'll be drawing attention to the book. I'll be you know, I'm still using the same first name, like, Tr oh, sorry, Truman is the correct name, like his second <gasps> name in the book is made up. And there's but never been any contact since he's never tried to get back at you, or you're not worried that there's going to be any follow up and... 
No, well, I don't think he knows about the book and I just didn't decide not to draw his attention to the book or the podcast. Somebody may tell him one day, but it looks like he's in Ghana from mm. his Facebook page. It looks like he's left the UK as in Ghana. So, um, but, I, you know, when I got back to Hong Kong after the whole event, he did try to blackmail me for more money, but that I think I talk about that in the podcast. Mm-hmm. So he was in touch for a while and I did try to get some of the money back. But, of course, I was never going to get any of it back. But he tried to blackmail me for more mm-hmm. and I had to tell I had to tell my one of my colleagues at work that he was th- threatening to, you know, say that I was a liar and a thief to my work and stuff like that. And so I had to give him a heads up because he had my um, business card so he knew where I oh worked. Yeah, and the police so can't do anything. T- well, the police, that was interesting because the police wouldn't do anything because I wasn't in the country. But I persisted and I think I really, I spoke, ended up going to the top and speaking to an inspector and saying, look, this guy could do this to other women. This is just ridiculous. Of course, I should be able to make a statement from Hong Kong. You've got to, you know, you've got to understand that this is a new thing that's happening. I'd, you know, done some research on romance scams and I realised that it was a thing and, and this inspector finally agreed to let me make a statement from Hong Kong. So then the pro- so then it started to go move forward. But the policeman in charge of my case, he was off work for ages with a back injury. And then some other girl picked it up, but she didn't really follow through. And then eventually they kicked... I gave them human- Truman's address because he'd taken me to his house. So I went on Google Earth and I found the house and found the address. Wow. Yeah, and so I gave the police his address. And they actually kicked his door in and he wasn't there. And then finally wow. they did arrest him and he, st- and he denied it all and said that it was just a normal domestic argument between partners and... But they said they had enough evidence because I had a I had a tick in my eye, like a, my eye was ticking for about three or four months afterwards because I ended up having bruises on my head and my hip, and my side and my arm and my watch face was broken and so I had all photos of that and I had a doctor's report for my head injury and that's when he slammed you against the wall from that's the door. when he slammed me yeah. with the door and the wall. So they said I haven't had enough um, evidence to prosecute him in the end. But then they said the six-month statute of limitations had passed by the time that they arrested him so they couldn't move forward with the case even though they had enough evidence. Now, it turns out I made a complaint to the Complaints Commission in the UK and it turns out that there wasn't a, um, there wasn't a statute of limitation on the case. But by then I'd had enough. Uh, you know, I'd disrupted his life. He'd had his door kicked in. He'd been He'd been arrested. That's when they told me his real name, which was interesting. They gave me his real full name, which I haven't revealed anywhere because of the danger of it. Sure. They gave me um, – they said that's when they said he had an, uh, an alias, 20 aliases and a rap sheet back to the early 90s in the UK. Oh. And that's when I, my blood ran cold because it's like, oh, my gosh, I, I, my life really was in danger. Was his rap sheet about violence and have everything? no idea, but you can imagine. Oh, you can only yeah. imagine. So, um, and the, by then I was like, you know, I don't, I can't afford to fly back and forward for a court case. I don't know that they would um, put me on video conferencing as a witness to a court case. I've got a full time job and I'm a single mum living in Hong Kong. How would I find the time? So I was actually too happy to let it go. So I think there were a few miscommunications with the police and a few 
hiccups with the police, but overall the British police treated me really well and very respectfully and they were great. Uh, you know, mm. there were issues there, but that could happen with anybody. And But you know what? You wrote a book and you wrote and you did a podcast and that's wonderful. That's right. Informing yeah. a lot of people. Fool exactly. me twice. I just want to keep saying the name because it is so good. <laughs> Fool me twice. It's a podcast and book, both and yeah. both available kind of everywhere you get your books. So you have the book on Amazon. Podcast is on all the podcast platforms. Yeah, the books on Amazon and Barnes and Noble. It's not in bookshops in other countries apart from Hong Kong, and then in my local bookstore in Adelaide in South, in South Australia. Wow. But yeah, it's on Amazon and the podcast. There's another podcast called Fool Me Twice. So look for the blue logo with by yes. Jules and Sarah Hannaford. I pulled it up. In um, fact, I'm going to show it to the camera. This may or may not come up. So Fool Me Twice. Oh, yeah, yeah. and go. it is so worth it's it it's amazing I, yeah very I well done well, thank you so much yeah zara and i work super hard on it like How she long wrote did that take you sorry if you don't mind me asking, a as a podcaster time. i was blown away i'm like i know her and it sounds so professional <laughs> yeah. we can only hope so, to get through that level i reckon the whole thing probably took oh i reckon six months working on it zara wrote it all my daughter so because she'd been the final line editor on my book which was mm. absolutely brilliant she did such a fantastic job and and she's an editor if anybody wants needs a great editor or writer synonymediting.com and she then wrote i was like okay i'm never writing again after the book i don't want to do it can you write it for me so she wrote it I flew to the U.S. because she's in the U.S. and we recorded it together in a hotel in the U.S. Really? And and I went to um, the True Crime Podcast Festival in Chicago and that's where I met some of our experts and I got interviews there and then um, I came back and then I did, I did, I reckon, 230 hours or more editing on the nine episodes. So I mm. edited the whole thing. I produced it. And then we had to add extra bits in and then we had an amazing sound designer called Shade Furlong from Brisbane. He's absolutely brilliant and he did all the sound design. So all the music in the entire show is written from scratch for the production. Wow, it's great. Yeah. Yeah, so I absolutely, and yeah, some people in the reviews hate the music, but I think it's a personal choice, but I absolutely love it. And I think it I enhances it, it brilliantly. Yeah, I yeah. love it. And then you're part of an Ozcast network. What is what Yeah, Ozcast ne Network. So Liam and Andy from Ozcast Network, who, which happen to be in Adelaide, uh, my they're my network. So they invited me in for my other podcast, which is called Hong Kong Confidential, where I interview interesting and, and fascinating people in Hong Kong. And I'm up to like 200 and episode 226 or something. That's a weekly wow. podcast. So they took me on at about episode six, which is amazing because not many networks would pick up somebody so early on in their career when when I really hadn't didn't have the downloads and they gave me a chance and it turns out they come from my same hometown in Adelaide oh, how I funny. didn't know where they were in Australia so I've actually been able to meet up with them and I did a Adelaide podcast festival with them and they're fantastic so it's great being with that network it gives me that little extra level of support and and they helped me find advertising for Fool Me Twice and they've got Hong Kong Confidential and Fool Me Twice on their network. And they're fast becoming one of the biggest networks in Australia. I, I think I, they were only a year old when I started with them. 
but they're brilliant. They're doing really, really well and they're just great guys who are really supportive and, you know, they've helped me sort out merchandise for Hong Kong Confidential and Fool Me Twice and they're fantastic. So it's a real honour to be a part of their network. And you congratulations. recently, yeah, Thanks. absolutely, congratulations! <laughs> you had a big climb on the charts too recently, which was oh exciting. my gosh, yeah. that was so exciting! I got to like eighty three or something in true crime in the US when it was about the last episode launch. So that was amazing, and I was in the top one hundred in Canada and Australia and America and New Zealand and. Oh, gosh, I can't even remember. Like, it went crazy. And I'm pushing 90,000 downloads. And it was only launched three months ago yesterday. Wow. Wow. Yeah. So in three months, I've had 90,000 downloads. So I'm going to hit 100,000 in less than four months from release. That's amazing. It can be done, people. It can be done. You have to put in the time and the effort in the front end and make it sound good, have a compelling story, and be... um, a likable person. I mean, I'm, I was pulling for you from the very beginning and the fact that your daughter was a part of it too. And she asked the question, you know, why would this happen to my mom? So it really does set up the whole big picture. And yeah. And I think as a true crime podcast, it's kind of unique because it has that mother daughter aspect, but it's also me, the victim telling the story. So many true crime podcasts are stories about other people and they're Mm -hmm. investigative and, but this was me telling my story and it's also a topic that's not been covered that much in true mm-hmm. crime apart from dirty john which mm-hmm. is oh. a re- or, and and who the hell is hamish so oh, they're they're one. two others uh, in the same sort of vein about being scammed but can i just say know, that my friend dated dirty john right before he went on to the woman of the story no way. And oh, oh my, my God. That's why this is so amazing to talk to you too and just find out. You know, I was thinking about going in the world of online dating. And after hearing that, the story of Dirty John and my friend and listening to that podcast, it really scared me. And I don't want to be scared. No, so. don't be scared. And I think it's important <laughs> to point out that one third of all people who get married in today's society meet online. And there are many, many people who are truly genuine people looking for love online. And it can be done. But you've got to get my book and read all the red flags and how to online date safely at the end of it. And make sure you're knowledgeable and do your due diligence. And never, ever, ever go to meet somebody that you haven't Skyped with face-to-face first and make sure that you meet in a public place and that you've got a get-out clause. Like, I always have somebody call me or text me during thing to check on how I'm going. Make sure you've given all the details that you have on that person to your friends. And also Google people, like... And you guys in America have a thing called Spokio where you can you can type in the name of somebody and find out where they live and all their details and cross-check everything. Well, I mean, we don't have that in Hong Kong. But and in the US, so you could you have, have seen the criminal record too. Does that pull up records? I you, think yes, that... I think Spokio does. I mean, I've tried to get on it, but I can't because I'm not in the US. I've, done, well, I've definitely tried to use it. Well, and it's hard but to know the, if someone has an alias who you're even looking up. So... Well, that's that's true. And and also, look, to be fair, even when you meet somebody, if they're a skilled criminal, they will charm you. They really will. So then it comes down to really trusting your gut instinct and taking things slow. Don't sleep with them or invite them to your place very quickly. 
Um, do never, ever, ever give anybody any money for any reason whatsoever, even if they're saying they're in a desperate situation and their child or their dog is going to die. Just don't give it to any mm-hmm. any money to anybody. And I think if you're online dating, try to meet, try to find people in your area. Don't look for long distance rela- distance relationships. Look for people online in your area and then meet them as quickly as you can because you can never ever know if you truly have a connection with somebody online even if you speak to them face to face you've got to smell their pheromones you've got to be able to spend time with them you need to see how they interact with wait staff and you know taxi drivers and all that because that can tell you a lot about a person and I tell you what that told me a lot about Truman the way he interacted with other people that was some of the things that really did trigger my red my red flags flying was the way and he how was it was he people. did he talk down to wait staff yes and- he was rude as and aggressive and rude and there was an incident in the hotel where he had a go at this woman for telling me we shouldn't have been in the VIP lounge with his mates that he'd invited in when we'd already been told that that was only for guests. And he kicked off at her. I was so embarrassed mm. and I apologised to her afterwards and he was just awful. So I, I loved when you kind of shamed him too when you told the other girl something about paying the bill for the food and yes. and he got so mad at you because you yes. shamed him and that's like a big Achilles heel with these narcissist guys right these con artists yes if you can I'd given an indication that I was paying for the hotel because oh, by then I knew I was paying for the hotel okay and I'd kind of said you know that they were like oh how lucky that he's treating you to this hotel and it's like mm-mm that's right. I, I mean, I didn't, you know, I didn't even say I'm doing it. I just was like giving them a knowing look and he went nuts, left the food, stormed out. And that's the night I tried to get away from him because I, I'm like, okay, this is just crazy. Mm-hmm. And was it, what did he say about that? Was he emasculated in public by the yeah. idea that? Yeah, yeah, how dare you? How dare you indicate that you're you're going to pay for it all? Who do you think you are? Give me give me the money. I'm going home because I was carrying it. He'd given it back to me to carry that night, and I was like, oh, oh, don't go home. I didn't want him to go home. I didn't. I wanted my money, but you know, I was too fixated on the money in the car rather than getting myself out of the situation and then dealing with it. Like I already had his address. I could have gone to the cops that night and we Mm -hmm. could have found him and I could have got the money and the car back sort of thing. I mean, I Mm -hmm. still had the car, but I, but also I think there was a part of me that, you know, wanted it not to be true or wanted to ignore that, that he was behaving like that. Or he's been drinking, you know, he's under stress. He'd been feeling sick earlier in the week, like making all pathetic excuses Mm -hmm. for why he was behaving that way. And don't forget, I've spent years and 10 years in two domestic violent relationships in my 20s. So therefore, his behavior wasn't that unfamiliar and it wasn't that kind of out of the realm of possibilities of what a relationship actually looks like because I have never had a functional, decent relationship. Mm -hmm. Now, have you since? Well, there's one... (laughs) 
this guy, he'll never listen, hopefully, to this podcast. (laughs) We have a lot of people like that, too. Let's hope they never find us. Yeah, yeah, yeah. (laughs) There's one guy in America that I was seeing. I met him on Tinder and he he comes to China for business and he's a really nice guy and he's a decent guy. He was honest with me right from the beginning that he didn't want a relationship, but we just kept sort of seeing each other off and on and... And he got, he was a bit grumpy, but he, he was a decent enough guy and he's since met somebody and is seeing them, but we're still friends and he's, he's really nice. So yeah, so he's probably the only person near enough to someone normal that I've dated, but it didn't even really work out and it wasn't even proper dating. Yeah. <laughs> really? Yeah. Was this and, after? And again, it, again, it was long distance. Yeah. This is, this was only in the last four, four or five years. So you did date again, but it's not something that's high on your radar yeah. right now that you want. It's not You're something. Okay. And look, I've had a couple of dates since, maybe three. And one guy lives in Hong Kong and I could see him again, but it's just not quite right. This guy in the US, we're still friends, but he's seeing somebody else and we never really were a thing. It was just whenever he came over here or if I went to New York, um, and I'm still on Tinder looking. I'd still like to have a partner. I do get lonely. In a way, I filled that gap with podcasting and writing and teaching and keeping super busy. And I think that's one of the things that I have done to sort of compensate for that loneliness because I've been on my own for, gosh, 25 years. Mm-hmm. Wow. It's a long time. Like all the relationships I've had in 25 years wouldn't even fill one year. Hmm. Well, Isn't that sad? I mean, because if you consider the guy from the US, even that's been over four years, I might have only seen him three times a year for a week. Right. A, right. Week, a week here and there, do you know what I mean? Or three days here and there. So, Did you ever, so, yeah. did this person send you into therapy? Did you ever, because I definitely yeah. started looking into that, looking at my patterns of people, <laughs> and then, and then yeah. just tried to read a lot on, like, why? Yeah, I've done a lot of counselling and therapy over the years off and on and actually I saw a life coach four times and that's when I started my podcast, Hong Kong Confidential. So I did that after seeing a life coach. But, you know, I've done – I mean, I did a a, um, counselling course for a year where I spent six six months looking at myself and then six months getting a sort of a counselling certificate which I use as a school teacher. Um, It's not like a proper qualification. But that was years before I met um, Truman. That was before that. So, but I, you know, I do really believe in therapy and I've done a lot of self-reflection and a lot of sort of healing work. And I did the Brené Brown Rising Strong course, which was great. Oh, that's, yeah, I've heard that's amazing. Yeah, Yeah. that or Daring Greatly. It was one of the two. Um, Mm -hmm. But that was Anything by her is amazing. Yeah, she's amazing. (laughs) I quote her a lot in my book, actually. And refer to her and talk about how owning my story really has set me free. Like I don't That's feel great. the shame and the guilt that I felt before. And I've been able to forgive myself for the choices that I made. And yep. hopefully I'm helping other people. And my next goal is to get um, Fool Me Twice made into a Netflix series. Yes. <laughs> I love it. I'm- I'm trying to work out how to do that, but that's what I want to do next. Okay, well, Netflix, you know, we're we're well connected, so yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Any Netflixes listening to this, Netflix right. producers listening to this podcast, reach out to Jules at HongKongConfidential.net. There you go. <laughs> See, perfect. Wow. Well, thank Love you it. so so much for sharing your story. It is 
so compelling, so good. It has so many levels to it, and you can learn so much. Even someone like me who is married and all settled down, you know, it makes you kind of open your eyes to the world of, of just really looking at things for what they are and trusting your gut and not being naive to, you know, every Tom, Dick, and Harry that might need something for you. In, and this in one was more ways. of a dick, I would say. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> just, yeah. Kidding. just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, absolutely. And it does come down to trusting your intuition. Mm-hmm. That is a big thing. We all have it and we often ignore it. Right, so right. I think that is. But look, thank you so much for having me on Absolutely. your show. It's been a g- real pleasure. And I hope that people check out my podcast or buy my book and do reach out if you want to make any sort of, give yes. me any sort of feedback or anything like yes. that. Yes, say your main uh, URL too. What, what website should people go to for all the things? Okay, so I've got a website which is www.fullmetwicepod.com and you can access the book there as well. Mm-hmm. And then www.hongkongconfidential.net is my uh, face, uh, my website for Hong Kong Confidential as well. Great. And then I'm, I'm at Jules Hannaford on Twitter and then I've got Instagram, fullmetwicejh and fullmetwicejh on Facebook. That's right. And she's part of the Lady Pod Squad that we're all grouped up with. And we all help support each other and lift each other up. And we were very glad to get your support. We're happy to support you. And Oh, it's brilliant. I love that Facebook group. And, and in fact, one of the ways that I think I've really gotten to nearly 100,000 downloads so quickly is the support of other podcasters the cross the cross promotions mm-hmm. the shout outs the retweeting the the connections that i've made through podcasting in the last two and a half years enabled me to really launch for me twice and and get have the success that it's having without the podcasting community it wouldn't be anywhere near as successful it is as it is That's so, th- so thanks to you guys yeah. and everyone mm. out there like yes. what a great community yeah, I know. Yeah, yeah. And that's a great takeaway too. find your community. If you're in a domestic violence situation, find your community. If you've been scammed in a romance, find your community. If you're a podcaster, come hang out with us. So yeah, yeah. yeah. Well, so glad to have you. Thank you so much. And we'll let you get back to your day in Hong Kong. Yes, thank you. We're we, honored uh, to have you as a guest. This is really uh, exciting. Yes, thank you so much. much. I'm honored to be here. And it's been so lovely to meet you guys in person. It's Yay. been really amazing. You too. All right, we'll take care. All right. And, yeah, Bye-bye. let me know when it comes out. Okay. We'll do. Okay. Sounds good. <laughs> Bye. Good night. See Okay, that was Jules Hannaford. You can find her at her website listed. Please go to our show notes at www.mouseandweens.com for more information, as well as find us on all of our social media at Mouse and Weens. You have to spell it all out. We would love your support on Patreon as well, so please go to patreon.com backslash mouseandweens, and we'll see you soon. Thanks for listening. Bye.